Welcome to Hauser Community Church Online. Let's join Pastor as the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and unpacks the Word of God for us. After the message, we'll tell you how to contact us. All right. Well, good morning, church. While the kiddos are swiftly exiting, go ahead. If you're not already there, turn to Acts 14 with me. When I was growing up, I grew up in southeast Texas and uh, in a very small town, not, not a ton to do in southeast Texas. So what we would do, my cousin and I, we, would, we loved to go down to the creek, it was right by our house, <clears throat> and we would take our pellet guns and our machetes and we would kill snakes. That was the highlight of the week. Uh, we would hunt them, we would, you know, be armed with our pellet guns and machetes, and we'd go to war against uh, water moccasins and rattlesnakes and copperheads, because for us, they're going to bite you or you're going to bite them first. So, uh, and once we killed them, and hopefully no one's PETA in here, uh, we would take their dead carcasses, and we would, in a victory celebration, stretch them out across the highway and watch cars run them over. Uh, <laughs> And we really, we just, there's nothing wrong with us. We just, we enjoyed uh, the death of snakes. Um, you can judge me later. But if you've ever killed a snake, you know that they don't give up very easily. They're not excited about dying and they do everything they can to strike you, uh, to take you down with them as they are going. They will squirm to their very last breath they are going to do all they can to bring you harm because that's what you're doing to them and they want to bring you harm. And that's a lot like the kingdom of God breaking into the kingdom of darkness. We see in Colossians uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 15, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus having given us all, uh, forgiven us our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This Jesus set aside and he nailed it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. But that doesn't mean that Satan is just going to roll over and die. That doesn't mean his minions are just going to say, well, we lost. Uh, We're just going to give up. Even though a death blow has been dealt to them and they're a defeated foe, the kingdom of darkness is going to twist and strike to the very end. But in this truth we stand, church. The Lord continues to spread his kingdom, even in the face of adversity, through the obedience of the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to look at what it looks like uh, to, for the kingdom of God to break into darkness and, and what, what effects that has, and uh, then how we participate as a church. So we're going to begin with the effects of the kingdom breaking into the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of God, bringing into the kingdom of darkness. We know two things about the fallen world around us. First, we know it's blind in sin. We know that sin will always work against the truth, that it's going to attack the truth. It's, it doesn't want the light. 
But this shouldn't be a surprise to us. We, we wouldn't be offended if a blind person stepped on our foot or if a deaf person didn't turn around when we called them. We just know that that's true of the world around us. That it is blind and sin and that is its lot until it's turned around by the grace of God. And we can rail against the lost all we want to. We can, we can tell uh, each other how sinful they are. And we can, we can say how pitifully they treat believers. But we are only getting ourselves, to, work, ourselves worked up about something that's ine- inevitable. This would be like going to the beach and complaining that the waves keep coming in over and over. It's just what is going to happen. The second thing we know about the fallen world around us is that uh, Christians will be persecuted just as Jesus was persecuted. He promises that, and we can't demand that it doesn't happen to us what happened to our Lord. We should even rejoice as we're being persecuted. As tribulations and, uh, tribulation and trials come, we see that we're walking the same path that the Lord walked. We see this in Acts. Acts 5.41, then they left the presence of the council. Uh, remember, they were beaten and they were told, don't, don't you share the gospel anymore. And they leave and they rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and when they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. The way we learn to rejoice in our trials and tribulations is not by learning how to avoid them. It's learning the necessity of them. So look at the text. We're going to start at verses 21 and 22 just in case you thought we were going to start at verse 1. Acts 14, verse 21. And when Paul and Barnabas had preached the gospel to the city, and they made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Here for the first time in Acts, we see the future aspect of the kingdom of God. All along, we've been seeing how the kingdom is breaking in through the preaching of the word. We've seen it in in the miracles that have happened. Uh, But for the first time, he's looking forward to the kingdom consummated, the the final kingdom of God. What Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in its own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet." So what we see is the kingdom of God all throughout Acts. It's breaking in to the kingdom of darkness uh, until Jesus returns and removes evil once and for all. So what Paul is saying is that the church is, is the kingdom, uh, picturing it's picturing the kingdom of God to the fallen world around us. We're showing what the kingdom of God looks like. We're, we're speaking the kingdom of God into people's lives and telling them what it looks like. And he says, because we're doing that, we're going to suffer many trials and tribulations. 
And the reason we suffer hardship is because the kingdom of God is invading darkness. In any battle, there will be tribulations. In any battle, people will die. People will suffer. Families will be separated and even fight on opposite sides of what the conflict is. And in the same way, the cosmic spiritual battle is raging and we suffer because we're fighting on one side. We see Paul says in 1 Thessalonians We sent Timothy, he's talking to the Thessalonians, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one may be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. It's going to happen. He tells them again in 2 Thessalonians, just in case they forgot the first letter, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Paul says it in Romans. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. F.F. Bruce, he says... uh, He boils this down to no cross, no crown. Our hardships are pictured in the sufferings of Christ. We see that we're going to suffer like Christ suffered, but our reward is proclaimed in his kingship. We know that we'll suffer, but we know that we will also inherit eternity. And suffering, it's it's not a requirement for salvation, It's just an indicator that you are actually living out what you believe or what you say you believe. Paul tells Timothy, the saying is trustworthy. For if if we have died with Jesus, we will live with him. If we endure, he will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Christianity has often been riddled with shallow confessionalism. That's not a word in the dictionary. I think I made it up. Basically meaning a lot of people will pray a prayer. They'll say, I follow Jesus. uh, But they don't understand what they're actually confessing. They don't understand what it means to follow Jesus Christ. They haven't been shown what it looks like to suffer. That Jesus says, yes, follow me, but you will die to self. You will suffer to live for me. Becoming a Christian means you're going to battle against evil. And that doesn't mean attacking unbelievers, but fighting for the kingdom of God by doing the opposite of what we think we should be doing. Loving our neighbor praying until our knees hurt, all the while being attacked by unbelievers and absorbing that attack and saying, I'm going to love you anyways because Jesus tells me to love my enemy. And then picking ourselves up, continuing to preach the word. Look at Paul, verse 19. The Jews come from Antioch and Iconium, having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and drug him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They leave him out there for the crows to eat him. But then the disciples gather him up. He rose up 
entered the city on the next day and went on with Barnabas to Derbe. He doesn't go back and say, can you believe how they treated me? Can you believe what they did? No, he just goes back and says, I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to continue to love you even though you've treated me like this. So let's look at a few examples of what tribulation looks like as, as the kingdom of God breaks in, what it looks like for darkness to rear its head. First off, we see believers, unbelievers will poison the minds of others around us. Look at verse two. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. We, we just saw this last week in, in 13 verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and, and, and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So the unbelieving Jews, they come and they plant seeds of discord. They tell lies about them. They, they talk against everything that they're doing. They're trying to get the Gentiles and the other Jews to think negatively about them because if they can make, think negatively about Paul and Barnabas, they're not going to listen to the message that they're proclaiming. We see the same thing happen with Jesus in the trial. He's standing before Pilate, and uh, he's standing before Herod. He's staring before the Sanhedrin, and just false witness after false witness after false witness for the purpose of squashing the Christian movement, of defaming the man Jesus Christ so that people don't follow him. Similar attempts are made today by the media showing and labeling Christian beliefs as, as bigotry and, and making all Christians look like uh, money, greedy televangelists. That's what we are if you didn't know that. Sometimes we look that way. But because false accusations come, it doesn't give us license to act the same way. It doesn't say that we can go and return that to the unbeliever to spread false and harmful information or log into social media and get in silly debates that change no one, just make everyone mad. Our charge is to preach the gospel, to give love and truth, and there's going to be division. Jesus promises that. I didn't come. I came to bring the sword, I came to bring division. I'm going to divide. Verse four. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. The light and darkness doesn't exist together. There's light and there's darkness. Our beliefs are different. They don't line up. Our worldview is Christ-centered. It's not self-centered. It's, it's the upside-down kingdom. It doesn't look like the rest of the world. We don't compromise because the world fluctuates in what they believe about this or that. We believe what the word says, and we stand seriously um, confident in the word. But we never give up on the lost. We never give up. And just because their views are fluctuating with the waves of time, we don't say, well, I'm just writing them off as lost and I'm done with them. We preach the gospel in word. We preach the gospel in deed until we die. 
And hopefully, we've raised someone up to take our place so that they preach the gospel in word and deed until they die, until Jesus returns. The tribulations will come. They're going to come in the form of physical persecution. Look at verse 5. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers they, uh, to mistreat them and stone them, uh, they, they come after them. We see in verse 19, they do actually stone Paul and they drag him out of the city. They thought he was dead and they were done with him. Even to this day, there's physical persecution of the church. There are some who are physically persecuted, stoned, beaten, imprisoned, executed. Converts being kicked out of homes. Uh, converts to Muslim uh, belief, to Mormonism, to Jehovah's Witness uh, beliefs are often ostracized from their family, cut off from their family. There is persecution against the church. Most persecution is verbal. We're to bring forth light. Darkness, it'll do its best to snuff out what Jesus Christ has told us to do, to snuff out the message of Jesus Christ. But even though tribulations come, we still desire more than anything for the kingdom of God to come. So we're going to look at how we actually participate in the kingdom breaking in through our obedience. The primary way, and we've seen this over and over and over in Acts, is the preaching or the speaking of the word of God. As we speak the word of God, the story of the kingdom of God, it starts to shine light on the lies of Satan, on the manipulations of Satan, of the illusion that he has created, that this is what you need The Holy Spirit starts turning people's minds away from the vain things and toward the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it. The word, the world tells you, you are the way. You are the answer. You just need to get it together. You need to help yourself. And Jesus says, I am the way. The world tells you, you are a lost cause. Jesus says, I died for you because I love you. The world tells you that you are you to, tr- to truly live. You just need to satisfy every desire you have. Just do whatever makes you feel good. Jesus says, I've come to give you life to the fullest. Church, we carry with us the message of true life, of eternal life of salvation from the lies and the bondage that Satan is keeping everyone in. But we have to speak the word. We have to speak the word clearly and intelligently. Look at verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue, and they spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, we're not aiming for eloquence so that people say, wow, what a great speaker. They're just wonderful. That's not, that's not what we're aiming for. Paul actually later on in this text, he mourns because they equate him to Hermes, the God Hermes. He's like, no, that's not who I am. He tears his clothes. He says, I am not the guy you're looking for. You need to look to the living God. 
I believe that maybe this is why Paul later on tells the Corinthians, and I, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, the gospel we present, it it does need to make sense, though. We can't just go and babble a bunch of verses. We have to meet unbelievers where they are. Meet them where they are and lay out for them the gospel story. We, we figure out what, what is their story and how do we marry that with the gospel story? How do we show them everything through the redemptive lens of Jesus Christ on the cross? How he's making all things new. But believer, you have to be grounded in the gospel. You have to understand the gospel. You're going to need to understand the story of redemption. What God is doing, has been doing, and will continue to do. You need to understand it so you can present it to others. Connect it with their story. And you do this by reading it, getting to know it, listen to it preached, Find books that help you read it or present it, and by sharing it, practicing it. And we have to speak boldly. Look at verse 3. They remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord. The world and evil would rather us just keep our mouths shut to just go about our business. If you want to be religious, that's fine. Just keep it to yourself, please. Our message is too important. It's, it's far too important. Paul and Barnabas, their, their response to the division and the slander from unbelievers was not to turn and fight them, but to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. No matter what the outcome was, they knew that they could be killed. They knew that they could be stoned. They didn't care. They said this message is far too important. The only way that we can be bold in declaring the word of God is through faith that Jesus puts in you by his Holy Spirit. He says, I'm giving you power. When the Spirit comes upon you, you'll be given power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So this boldness isn't come from us just being awesome. We're not. But God is. And he says, I'm giving you my spirit. So that you can go and do this. And boldness, with boldness comes, we need to marry it with persistence. Look at verse 7. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Verse 21. When they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples. After being mistreated, after being stoned, after being drugged out of the city, they continue to preach the gospel. Church, the kingdom of darkness is not going to let up, even though it's defeated. 
It doesn't want to let us. It's going to fight to the bitter end, grabbing every soul that it can drag to hell with it. And we should have the same kind of zealousness for the kingdom of God. Spurgeon, I I know I've used this quote in here, and I probably will a thousand more times, so just memorize it. He says, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. The kingdom of God breaks into darkness by our persistent, bold declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And speaking the word will start to expose idolatry. It'll start to expose what uh, people go after. We see this in verse 15 through 17. Paul and Barnabas, they were exalted as gods, as Zeus and Hermes. And they want to offer sacrifices to them. And Paul and Barnabas, they hear this, they tear their garments, and they rush out and they say, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in it. In past generations, he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he didn't leave you, leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying the hearts with food and gladness. It's our fallen sinful nature to want to exalt people. Exalt uh, something or someone in the place of God. We just, we're made to worship. That's who we are. And we eventually, we just, we see someone and we, we attach to them. We see this in celebrity worship. We see this in sports uh, athlete worship. We just exalt people to this place of of God's status. We even exalt strong godly leaders like pastors in positions where they can never measure up to. And that's all idolatry. And Satan wants to point your attention away from God however he can. Always looking at anywhere and everywhere, but to Jesus as the answer. Just think of the garden. Did God really say, you could be Elohim? You could be God. Just think of the temptation of Jesus. I will give you everything, Satan says. I will make you great. Think of your own life. Are you not tempted to exalt someone or something? If you just had this thing, if you just had this person, if you just had this perfect relationship, happiness and peace and solitude, whatever, if you had those things, everything would be okay. But the Lord has been pursuing you. We see in past generations, he allowed nations to walk that way, but he didn't leave himself without witness. And now he's completing the gospel. He's bringing the Gentiles in. He's saying, I have been coming after you. I've been showing you my glory in the rain. I've been showing you my glory in the food. 
Stop pursuing the created and pursue the creator. And when you expose idols for what they are as cheap imitations of the true God, cheap reflections, very dim reflections, then we're bringing the kingdom of God near to people. We're showing this is the actual answer. And that should drive us to speak missionally. Look at verse 24 and 25. They passed through Pisidia, came to Pamphylia, and they had spoken the word in Perga, and they went down to Attilia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, and, and when they had commended, uh, where they had been commended by the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. Paul and Barnabas, they just continue on their, their mission trip. They just keep doing what they're doing. They go to the Gentiles, and they're proclaiming the gospel in as many locations as they can. And some of you may be called to missions. Some of you are in missions already. Most of you are called to the mission field right here. You're called into your home as your mission field. The grocery store is your mission field. The place of work, the basketball court, the beach, wherever. You have this circle of influence that you are a missionary to. And as you go from place to place, as you live for the kingdom, and as you invite people into your homes and you share the love of Jesus Christ with them, the kingdom of God is starting to break in to the kingdom of darkness. Christian, you're called salt and light. You're called uh, that because your very presence, and actually Christ's very presence in you, is changing the surroundings around you as you live for Jesus. But you can't lose your saltiness. (laughs) You can't become salty. You need to live for Christ. You don't hide the light of Christ in you. You let it shine to those around you. You're on mission. Share Jesus as you go. And as we speak, we, we speak worshipfully. We, we just tell of God's faithfulness. Look at verse 27. When they arrived, they got back to Antioch, right? And they gathered the church together. They declare all that God had done with them. How he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas, they get back with the church that sent them. And they share what God has been doing they share with them, they celebrate with the believers that God is spent, he's sending the gospel to the ends of the earth. Recently, we've received several accounts of missionaries coming and speaking about how God is, is working. We're going to have one here soon, um, an account of what God is doing, and that's all a celebration of the church and what God is doing globally, how he is pushing the gospel to every corner of this earth. But you and I can do the same thing. We can gather with the believers, we can gather with the church around us, and we can tell of how God is moving in our lives, how he is answering prayer, how he is changing things. And we can celebrate with the believers around us. And what that does is ignites us to live missionally for Jesus Christ. When I know that you are sharing the gospel and that you are seeing people come to faith, that excites me to do the same thing. We have to get together and share that. 
So the kingdom of God, it starts to break in as we share the word of God with others, and it continues to break in as we disciple. First off, we have to understand that discipleship is not drive-by evangelism. We don't just, hey, love Jesus, and go on. Look at verse 3. They remained a long time. We'll just stop there. They remained for a long time. They didn't just say, hey, Jesus is the answer. We're going to Derby. Look at verse 28. They remained no little time with the disciples. They stayed there with the people that came to know Jesus. They stayed with them. They developed leaders, they trained them, they taught all that Jesus had commanded them. That's what discipleship is. Paul will later, he'll tell Timothy, hey, you preach the word in Ephesus, you be ready in season and out of season, you reprove and you rebuke and you exhort with complete patience and teaching. You just stay there, Timothy, and you build the church. You just tell people and you disciple people. You spend time with them. You expose false beliefs and wrong thinkings. And you work in the truth as you work out the lies. Like a parent helping a child grow to maturity. That's what we're doing in discipleship. And you and I are called to make disciples in the same way. We have to understand it's a process. I'm not going to say, hey, follow Jesus, and then that person is just automatically uh, a very mature believer. You're not all the time a very mature believer, right? So we need patience with one another. We need to stumble. We need to realize we stumble and fall. We're just going to keep helping each other up. Yeah, I get it. I fell down too. Let me help you up. Let me remind you of the gospel. Let me point you to the cross, and let's keep moving forward. Let's keep looking like Jesus. But discipleship needs to be focused. Look at verse 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel in that city, and they had made many disciples. Okay, so they evangelized, discipled. What did they do? They returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, and they strengthened the souls of the disciples they encouraged them to continue in the faith and saying, and saying that through many tri- tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Discipleship is focused. It has a plan. Our, our aim is maturity in Christ, to help one, ch- one another build up, to look like Jesus Christ. It's not just coffee and conversation, but teaching all that Jesus has commanded us. It's strengthening the souls of the believers by allowing the promises of God to refresh a weary soul. It's encouraging one another to continue in the faith by hooking arms together and fighting the fight together. Not saying, hey, good luck with that. But let's do this. I'm going to walk with you through this addiction, through this sin. I'm going to weep with you. I'm with you. I'm going to point you to Jesus constantly. It's calling one another to endure tribulation. Not allowing one another to lay down and give up. But saying, hey, let's go. Jesus suffered. I get it. Let's go together. Let's suffer together. 
Remind each other that we're fighting the good fight. That hardships are building in us Christ-like character. But discipleship that's not focused is just being social. And that has no, well, it does have value. It has great value. But we need to remind each other of the cross, of the gospel. Discipleship needs to also find and raise up leaders. Verse 23. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with fasting and prayer, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Notice that that text, it says, they appointed elders for them. So that discipleship would continue on. So that the teaching would go on. So that a group of godly men would watch over the flock of God. So that they would continue to spur them on. This reveals the importance of the office of elder in the growth and the development of every single church. That's why we have elders at Hauser Community Church. To spur on discipleship among the believers. To equip you all for the work of the ministry. Whereas evangelism is the initial breaking in of the kingdom of God in darkness, discipleship is the continual breaking in in your daily life. Evangelism welcomes you into the story. Discipleship lives out the story with you. Don't attempt to walk the Christian life alone. It's impossible. You're not created that way. We're created to be together. Finally, we see the the kingdom of God breaking in by signs and wonders. Everyone's favorite topic. I'm going to fly right over it. There's a great discussion about signs and wonderings. Have they seized? Do they still exist? Are they partially here? We're not talking about that this morning. We don't have time. But regardless of where you land on this discussion, the text makes it very clear why there are signs and wonders right here. Look at verse 3. They remain for a long time. They're speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. The signs and wonders are pointing away from a fallen and broken world, a world that's not supposed to look this way, a world that's broken, it's distorted, and it's pointing to perfect Perfection and uprightness. The redeemed will be set right again. It is not the answer. It's pointing to the answer. The church too often, we talk about, we, we talk about the effects of sin. We talk about the victories of darkness um, more than we talk about the power of the almighty God. Set your eyes not on the things seen, but on the things unseen. Not on the bad news. There's plenty of that. Set your eyes on the good news. Don't, don't just look to the hope that we have, but look to participate in sharing that hope with others. Because the Lord continues to spread the kingdom in the face of adversity through the obedience of the church by the power of his Holy Spirit. So take a look at your life this morning. Are you building the kingdom of God or are you participating in the kingdom of darkness? Some of you, 
You need to spend some time this morning in the next song, in the next two songs, seeking forgiveness, asking for the Lord to create in you this desire to live for his kingdom and not for your own. Some of you need to turn from the vain things that you have been following. Um, You're following the God of self. You're following the God of money, of sex, of desire. You're not following Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Turn from those vain things and follow the living God. Believer, take time this morning preparing your heart to fight the good fight of faith. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are so good. I thank you that you were so gracious to us that so long you let the Gentiles go the way that they wanted. But now in the grace of Jesus Christ, you have revealed to us the Messiah. I pray, God, that you would just anchor that truth into our hearts, that we were once not a people, but now we are a people. That we are chosen and sent on mission with you. I pray, God, that you would be with my brothers and sisters in here, that that you would give them the strength, that they would realize that it's not their own strength, it's the power of the Holy Spirit, that they become witnesses of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Create in us boldness, Lord. We want to live for you. We want to proclaim your message. So often we're so weak and don't want to. We're scared. So give us strength, Lord. We pray for any in here that are lost, that you would show them that you are the living God, that all that this world offers is a shadow of what you are offering. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 541-756-2591 or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.